we were spending to grow at any cost, regardless of you know whether or not certain channels really performed for us. This year is like we really have to kind of look at each one of those performances in cohorts and understand you know, what what really works for Sabian. And I think everyone else is also doing the exact same exercises on what really works for their business. Welcome to the OpStars podcast, where we talk to revenue operations pros at the top of their game so that we can collectively support each other through the sharing of ideas, learning best practices, and discovering innovative new strategies. I'm your host, Don Opfos. Today, I have with us Anthony Vias. He is the Director of Marketing Operations at Stavient. Uh, it's an identity management company that provides cloud-first identity governance and access management solutions for businesses. Welcome, Anthony. Yeah, thanks for having me, Don. Oh, you bet. Tell me a little bit more about Savient. I It's not a company that kind of rings a bell. It's not really super well-known. Like, where do you guys have a really good, strong presence? Yeah, so we're located in um, El Segundo, so Southern California. And yep. our presence is really, uh, our target audience is really kind of the enterprise level companies that have traditionally been on-prem with all of their cybersecurity. So think Fortune 500 all the way to the Fortune 2000. Those are sort of the companies that we really target. Got it. And then you you head up the, the marketing operations side. So like, what does your day-to-day look like uh, doing marketing for, for Sabian? Yeah. So right now we are a team of two uh, on the marketing operations team, and we are yes. supporting a, a demand gen function that has about uh, eight folks on it, and then a product marketing team that has four people on it, as well as working cross-functionally with our sales operations folks, as well as our SDRs who uh, do roll up under our marketing. Got it. Last year, uh, you won at OpStars uh, the Digital Transformation Award. Do you want to talk a little bit about what you did there that that won you that award? Yeah, definitely. So, when I, when I joined Savient, a lot of the tools and a lot of the process that was currently in place really didn't scale. So I think what happened was Savient saw a tremendous amount of growth that was really accelerated by COVID, where traditionally on-prem companies, they were actually moving towards you know being a cloud-first sort of technology. Right. So they saw a huge amount of growth. However, a lot of the technology stack, a lot of the process wasn't in place to kind of support some of that growth. So when I came in at the end of 2020, you know, what we inherited was a lot of sort of like Frankenstein mixed match tools that really didn't speak to one another. The the process was really non-existent at the point where um, we didn't really have things in place like like a lead status or understanding even the match between our uh, marketing automation tool and our, our CRM, they're totally unplugged for one another. So it was like you're managing two different things and they really weren't syncing to one another. So, you know, initially I joined Savient as a consultant just to kind of come on board and, you know, really kind of take a look at what was going on, really draw a flow, flow chart diagram of everything I saw going through the process and really kind of just gave them sort of a, a recommendation on like the, the tools that are actually working with one another, the, the the things that like other B2B companies are actually using in a sense of, hey, if you really want to scale and you really want to continue seeing this growth and build, building out the rest of the team, I think these tools would be the best ones to kind of go with. 
at the end of it, they're like, yeah, you know, we want to go ahead and, and go with this. And they offered me a job to kind of come on and actually do everything I put together in that report. Oh, that's awesome. So starting as a consultant, but then moving to full time and then, and they really, they really embraced everything you had, you had consulted on. Uh, and then that, that gave you the ability to really step in and drive all those changes against what you knew needed to be done. And then presumably that was really successful. And that's really what you presented in that, in, in that uh, award application and what, what got you the award. Yeah, exactly. So it takes one thing to just kind of go in and rip a lot of tools out and make that work. But I think what we also did is really kind of change the process and really kind of work alongside of, you know, our counterparts in sales and SDRs to really kind of help drive some of that adoption and really helping that team that was doing a lot of manual effort, whether it was routing leads manually, whether it was not knowing how to sort of bucket leads properly into a certain status and put them into outreach. It was just kind of, um, it was very helpful for that team as well. I think one thing we also did is you know, through lean data, through just actually creating you know lead sources, lead statuses. I think the conversation actually changed between our senior leadership where we were just doing a lot of things. So as like a little bit of context, we only had one lead source when I joined. Oh, wow. um, it, was just, it was just called mar- marketing inbound and everything <laughs> that we did got funneled in there, right? So there, there really wasn't a lot of, like conversations on like, Hey, what's working for us is marketing inbounds working. (laughs) Yeah. It marketing, regardless of what we did, we, it was, there was just one thing, right? So changing that, like even just changing something like that, it really kind of changed the conversation from, I think traditionally marketing was a a cost center for them to to where we are now. We're like, Hey, we want to know what's working. We want to know what's driving pipeline. We want to know what's actually leading to sort of close one deals. And I think that 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 so that sort of entire conversation changed from you know now we're kind of being looked looked at as a team to like go to when it comes to like hey where should we spend this amount of money yep. given what what you're what you've seen in twenty one twenty two uh, and going into twenty three yeah yeah so a lot so a lot of what you a lot of what you did was not staying siloed within the marketing the walls of marketing right. Like I think you, it sounds like a lot of what you did was pulling in other other parts of the business in a way to look at it holistically, so that you could really drive the understanding of like, hey, when we when we spend money on marketing program X, you know, we get that we get this much, you know, close one business at the end of the day, right? Exactly, I agree with you. It's like all about breaking silos and really kind of you know extending that arm branch to the other side of the room there. So like doing things like even when I was barely coming on board, it's just kind of doing rep rights. So, you know, almost like ride alongs with SDRs and understanding what their process looked like and where can sort of automation come in and and help sort of alleviate some of that admin work that they're doing. You know, how can we sort of present a better view from a marketing standpoint of like when they do get a, a marketing lead from us, do they know where to go look? to see where that lead came from, what they did, and, and why are they an MQL or why are they, you know, in front of them at that moment. So right, right. You probably really implemented using campaigns, I would imagine, Salesforce campaigns in in Salesforce, because it doesn't sound like if they just had a lead source, you know, marketing inbound, there wasn't probably any concept of Salesforce campaigns in your org, right? 
Correct. Yeah. So we revamped all of that. So we changed marketing automation platforms. That was one of the key things that we did. Oh, wow. Okay. Because, because the one that we went with, Marketo, has a very good connection with a Salesforce campaign to a marketing program connection. So we wanted to kind of really leverage that campaign object because we know what we wanted to do. We wanted to use other parts of lean data to really kind of track some of that. I guess, attribution, we want to track some of that engagement by channel inside of a Salesforce campaign that really kind of, you know, later down the road, once we actually had enough data, we were actually able to pull all of that, you know, Salesforce campaign data into uh, our Tableau instance, which is where we use, you know, all of our data visualization today. Yeah. Now, does does the SDR function fall under sales or marketing at Sabian? Right. So currently, and this is new for this year, um, the SDRs um, traditionally have sat under sale, but we moved, we actually moved them back under uh, marketing this year. <laughs> so every, everything that you did, <laughs> you were able to like now take that team and under, under the marketing wing after demonstrating all the changes you, you made, made them so successful, right? Right, right. And, and I think, you know, I think that's still a debate like amongst different companies of like where they sit, but the, the way that we kind of use the SDR team and the way that we kind of really work collaboratively the way we do, I think the best place really for them is in marketing. I think we're, we're, we're kind of closer, interconnected a little bit more than what they would be to the sales team. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And, and I'm sure they're probably happy either way. I mean, because again, because a lot of the changes that you did was really driving their success. In, in not only automating things that were probably manual for them before, but also, you know, the net result of getting those meetings for their sales team, right? Exactly. Yeah. That's awesome. That was really a cool project. So we do have, we do have that award, all, all of that information that we just talked about. It's going, you're going to see it uh, in the OpStars library. You can go take a look. One of the things that I think you and I talked about before, uh, before we, we, we started the podcast today was kind of like where you're at today and how you want to look at reporting to really drive, I guess, a more a more surgical focus on understanding, you know, in this time of economic downturn, you know, you really want to spend every dollar wisely. Uh, so you really almost need to double down on understanding, you know, what marketing campaigns are driving pipeline that is turning into closed one. So do you, do you want to talk about like what you're looking at like this year on on really kind of refocusing in on what that looks like? Yeah, definitely. So at the beginning stages, what we actually wanted to do is just create a foundation. So we wanted to understand conversion rates from, you know, net new leads to MQLs, opportunities generated. And for for the last two years, that has been perfect, right? Like, you know, we, we know what our conversion rates are. We know what we need to sort of hit at the top of the funnel in order to generate enough opportunities to sort of meet our, you know, full year sales quota. However, this year with, you know, and I think this is felt all throughout tech is, you know, budgets are sort of dwindling down and we really need to be more surgical on where we're actually spending that money. So luckily what we've actually set up in that foundation is we're actually able to like really look at, um, marketing performance in cohorts, mm-hmm. whether that is through their original lead source. So where are the leads coming from that are actually, you know, trickling down to you know, pipeline generation as well as closed one opportunities, as well as just kind of giving us a, a look and see where should we actually spend those marketing dollars, right? So, you know, with right now we were doing everything, right? When 
you know, people in VCs were throwing money around, valuations were crazy. We were spending to grow at any cost, regardless of, you know, whether or not certain channels really performed for us. This year is like, we really have to kind of look at each one of those performances in cohorts and understand, you know, what, what really works for Sabian. And I think everyone else is also doing the exact same exercises on what really works for their business. Another way that we're kind of looking at cohorts now, and, and I work a lot with our product marketing team, is we have five ind- individual products, right? So when we think of Savient, they're an EIC enterprise um, identity cloud that you know has you know TPAC, so third-party identity access, IGA, CPAM, and data access governance, right? So you can either buy it as a suite, which is the full EIC, or you can buy those individually. But each product marketer on our team is responsible for driving pipeline generation for a product. So we're also looking to see not only are we generating it from the right channel from like a, a demand gen perspective, but are we driving enough uh, pipeline for um, close one deals to hit targets on each individual product? So hmm. we've also broken it up in that cohort as well, where we're looking at you know um, leads that are coming in from a a specific type of webinar that is focused around one specific product that we offer. Got it. Yeah. So you're getting down to the point where, well, I, I guess, do, do you have a goal on what you are trying to drive on the pipeline side for each of those product categories? We do. Yeah. And that, yeah, correct. Yeah. That, that makes it, that makes it that much more important. Right. So like if you, so you really need to, to, drill into that reporting because you need to know, you know, just product line A, you know, do we get more pipeline if we put a dollar into a webinar versus another product B where you get a better pipeline from a partner channel versus, you know, pipeline C, which might be from trade shows, right? And when we actually go in and break them out like that, you actually do see different conversions at every level from, you know, the number of leads that convert into MQLs to, the rate at what we're closing those deals at. Do you find that the the marketing budget for each of those product lines, do you align that to the success that you're seeing on those particular marketing campaigns? Good question. So I, we don't do it today where we, we go in for a specific product. Um, right now, we're just currently looking at it by channel. But I think that is going to be the next phase of of how we're looking at that. Right, right. Uh, that's what I imagine the evolution would be, right? Like once once you start to know those things, you're probably going to want to allocate the dollars and align it in the right ways for, you know, for what what areas of the business you really want to invest in, right? Right. And and there's always, you know, there's always, you know, one or two products that really kind of stand out. So just based off of historical data, that's kind of where we've allocated uh, that budget based off of results of 22 and our leadership has a really good feel on like what sort of customers actually need versus what's like a nice to have much like any other tool that sells you know one or two core products and then they have like a few other sort of add-ons that are just kind of nice to have within that suite yeah this is another question that i have again i'm not my mark my background isn't marketing heavy and one of the things that i have always found fascinating is understanding how different companies look at a lead source versus a campaign, right? So like, and to that end, you know, how do you attribute when an opportunity is closed one, is it the last campaign that they were in? Or are you, or do you go back and say, oh, well, I'm actually going to attribute it to the first thing that it came in on? Can you, can you talk about like how Sabian looks at that? That's a great question. So 
For us, we actually look at it and the way that we've actually set up our attribution model is based, it's a weighted attribution model based off of the type of engagement. So the type of campaign that they came in through, right? So if they come in through a demo request and then engage with an ebook or an analyst report, we sort of weigh that based off of what we think actually drove that opportunity. And we weigh it heavier on like the hard hand raise versus using, you know, the analyst report. They still get some, some of that credit, some of the attribution, but we really focus it on what we believe to be the highest touch, uh, the highest engagement for that lead. So if someone just gets a batch scan at, at a trade show because they want some swag, you know, we, we will look at that and compare that to someone that attended a session or sat with one of our sales teams at that trade show and sort of play with that weighting model um, based off of what we've set up. So you would, you would have a value assigned to the fact that you did the trade show, right? Because that, that's the dollar spent. Uh, but then within that, you would actually weight it. You would weight the, the, the fact that someone took a piece of swag versus they actually attended a, a session at that trade show. Correct. And then, and then you're weighting that. So, okay, that's really interesting. So you will actually, you actually score a particular campaign based on what you believe that conversion rate is for that campaign. Correct. Yes. Yeah, that's sophisticated. That's really cool. Yeah. And, and I was going to say, so we still, so in, in our actual attribution model, like if someone no shows or you know, just doesn't attend or is a general attendee that doesn't actually engage with us, we actually, we still give credit to either having them in that program. However, we just sign, we assign a $0 value to them because they're general attendees that are just at a trade show, didn't engage with us. We still want that raw number of people that were part of that marketing campaign. Yeah. We just don't attribute any type of marketing dollars to them. So, Got it. Interesting. So the other thing I'd love to understand too, can you talk about, like I would imagine, like, you know, if you, you, you have, you know, five product lines, you have, you have a couple that are kind of your main bread and butter, right? So I would imagine there's some level of marketing to existing customers to get them to upsell to other products that you offer. Like, do you view the marketing there differently or how, how do you weigh that? I get that. So that's always something that we're, we're looking at. So we're always, always looking to see what actual complementary tools would work for you know our existing customers. And the, the way that we've kind of gone about marketing to some of those is really based on the industry. So if we're seeing some customers in that same industry moving towards you know having IGA and, and now implementing CPAM, we will look to that focus and see who's on our customer base that we can sort of cross-sell, upsell uh, into one of our other products as well. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah, I think, you know, so right now, a lot of that is done from a marketing programming side. I think, you know, we, we don't do a great job of having our SDR teams really reach out to our customer base. And I think that's something that we are looking to improve this year is you know, changing the compensation in a way that makes sense to actually compensate for, you know, cross on upsell, not just net new product. Yeah, I think... Again, like my experience, I've seen this, you know, SDRs, it's like new business, new business, new business, right? And it's all it's all net new business. It's not upsell business. Normally the upsell business falls to like an account manager, right? So that they're and and they usually don't have SDRs assigned to them. So they're kind of on their own for trying to like prospect into existing customers to understand where they can do upsells. So Yeah. Yeah. And, and that's something that we've also changed for 23 is before the, you know, like customer that might come onto the site or 
you know, is, is a customer of IGA, but has been showing interest in CPAM, showing up to CPAM webinars and attending those is before it would just go to the sales director, which is the equivalent of RAE. But a lot of those um, reps haven't really been equipped to understand where to look and what the campaign means, all the lead statuses. So traditionally what had happened in you know, prior to this year is they would actually just talk about it during our their one-on-one and just wait till, let's say a lead comes in on Wednesday, but their one-on-one is that following Tuesday. They wouldn't talk to that lead for about six days until you know it came up in that meeting. Today, what we did at the beginning of the year is like, hey, now we're just going to route everything to our SDR team yep. and they they will follow up with that lead. And now we've sort of established SLAs for both demo requests as well as those content leads that come in. Yeah. Yeah. And again, that that's really, I, I think that that's really important for what the customer experience is like, right? Like if I am a customer of, of product A and I want, and I am, and I'm showing interest, obviously, uh, by, by doing mar- marketing, engaging in marketing activities on product B, you know, I would expect that my customer experience would be that I would get contacted by somebody who would direct me in the right direction to talk more. Uh, rather than have it be like an afterthought where someone's contacting me like a week later and it's and it's not really uh, front of mind. Like you you want somebody who's eager and excited to talk about, hey, like, hey, I see you are a product, your customer product A and you're going to all these webinars on product B. Like, let's talk about that. Who, you know, let, can I get a meeting with with who your account manager is? You know, that's kind of the ideal customer experience. I think, you know, people would expect and it sounds like that's that's kind of the path you're going down. Yeah, exactly. And and especially when you're selling into large enterprises and people are now sort of located in different parts of the world, like there might not, there might be someone that they just hired in a, in a much senior role that just doesn't know that we're already a customer. So, you know, we just need to follow up and kind of make sure we're, we're having that outreach and making sure that they just don't feel ignored. Because I've definitely been on the other end of that where like I'm trying to buy software, I fill out a demo request and I don't get any contact. I reach out to them like, hey, can you please sell me this? So yeah, you definitely don't want to get that going. And and especially if it is, like you say, if you are if you are selling into the enterprise, that other experience, you you also want to make sure you, you have of, if I am a customer already and I may not know that, you want to have the SDR have that context. So when they are communicating with me, you know, they can they can bring that context to the table and help me understand, oh, okay, I am a customer already of this. And while I am interested in that, like, you know, who do I need to talk to? Like, who who is a customer at my company? I may not know, right? Right. Um, and so like with the more, the more context and information that an SDR has when they're reaching out to somebody on a lead, I think it's the higher the conversion, the better outcome that you're going to have, you know, at the end of the day. Exactly. And, and you're selling to people that are already customers, right? So they've yeah. already entrusted you with one one piece of sort of their infrastructure and all they want to do is kind of get more information on the other. I think that's one of the most efficient ways that a company can grow too is like upselling and cross-selling, you know, oh, yeah. other products that they offer. So I guess like the next thing I, I want to talk about, like what do you see that's kind of cutting edge that's out there that's on the horizon for you that that looks interesting AI, chat GPT is kind of like what everyone's talking about, but like, is there anything specific for you for marketing operations that you're seeing that, that looks interesting that you, you think you might be looking at within the next year, year or two? Yeah. So 
right now, and I think we're a little bit late to the game, but I think the speed to lead is very important. You know, there's different companies out there that are coming out with like a direct book sort of demo schedule. Yep. Um, making sure that we are sort of creating that meeting and sort of shorting our sales cycle is really big, especially if you're, you're trying to sell it to enterprises where right now our sales cycle is anywhere from 10 to 12 months on average is how do we sort of try to shorten that period, like at every step of that opportunity cycle. And I think that's just a big one. Everyone's talking about, you know, chat GPT and AI. I think that's going to have a, an impact, but I think that would be sort of, you know, a little bit further down the line. I know yeah. that like our SDR team is like playing with chat GPT. And I know like there's chatbots that are introducing it, you know, with within their sort of platforms. So yeah, I think that's going to be the next, the next wave of things. For yeah. me, it's a, uh, it's it's quite the obvious. It's quite the opposite of like going towards like the Chat GPT route. It's like I think we just need to call more. You know, I think SDRs. <laughs> I think I think during COVID we we've, we've moved away from from just like calling people because they're obviously not going to be in the office. But you know, I, I think like it's, I, I go in and look at a lot of our, a lot of our data and like there's so many emails going out, so many invites to LinkedIn, and I think you know you'll surprise people when you just pick up the phone and call yeah. them because they're just like not used to it. Yeah, I think the amount of emails that go out in comparison to just picking up the phone and calling someone, it'd be like funny to see what that looked like pre and post uh, COVID. So, and and the technology stuff that I see on that side that I, that I've seen, I don't know if you've seen any of this yourself, but there's like technology now where it'll actually place like five phone calls at once, right? And and then and and so like if somebody picks up of those five dials, it'll hang up the other four. So you're actually like your likelihood of making that connection is, you know, by a magnitude five, because every call you're making is actually five calls. And the one that interesting is the one that connects like that. There's, there's technology out there like that, that I've seen that like that's starting to get hot again, because as you say, you know, making a phone call and getting somebody on the phone is the thing that really SDRs aren't doing. You know, they, they've got the email game down you know, everybody's doing that, you know, it's really easy for me or you to like click spam on anything you get, but you know, you might get that one call that comes through, you know, I, I, there was one, um, I, our RVP of commercial sales was talking about, you know, he was expecting a phone call from somebody that day and he just happened to pick up and it was a, it was an SDR and was pitching him, you know, straight out the bat. And like, you know, it, it was really interesting to, to hear his experience with that SDR that made that connection because it's so rare that, that, you know, people are making calls and then number one, and then number two, if you're getting that connection, you know, how do you handle that call to keep somebody on the phone to make your pitch and then to get that meeting booked? Right. Yeah, no, totally. I'm with you. And, and I know that sort of, you know, calling and dialing and actually you know, starting off like a, a pitch is hard because when I was working at Hired a while back is we actually went to our Toronto office where SDRs were actually located and headquartered. And we we did some calls like, you know, a marketing team, we could, took a couple oh, yeah. of imagine folks and they let us kind of just hop on the call and like we called them and like, it's, it's hard. It's a hard business to kind of, you know, being, you know, first or second job out of college. And, you know, now you have to sort of sell this software that is very complicated, very difficult to explain without, you know, having a, a presentation in front of you. So. Yeah, it's not, it's being an SDR is not an easy job, but in my, in my, my belief is if you do it and you do it for a year, year and a half at your organization, you are going to know your product inside and out 
and you're going to know how to how to pitch it in a way that's going to grab someone's attention like no one else in the company will you know exactly i agree yeah uh, the other thing i love talking about on this podcast is kind of how you ended up in your role today right like you're in marketing operations today i don't think anybody i mean it's very rare that i've talked to anybody that you know, hey, I'm doing I'm doing RevOps, and that's what I always wanted to do. It's always something you, know, you. It's always somebody they they kind of fell into it, or they they you know the opportunity was presented to them, and they took it and they ran with it, and they loved it. You came out uh, Cal State, and you were a business major. Like, what what was your expectation coming out of college? What did you want to do? I mean, you ended up in sports, right? You were you were in sports marketing. Yeah, so that that exactly what I wanted to do when I was getting out of, out of college is I I so my major was in business administration with a focus on contracts, so fulfilling contracts, contract law, um, that was sort of my major and my focus. Um, so coming out of college, I had already taken a few internships while uh, junior and senior year. So I, I did uh, one year in the sponsorship and marketing department at the Los Angeles Clippers. Okay. Really reviewing all of the so what that entailed is reviewing all of the sponsors' contracts and outlining exactly what we needed to do from a contract perspective to fulfill that contract for the year. So whether it was promotional, whether it was having you know a halftime show with like their logo showing around uh, the stadium, to like you know the the video boards that used to be on on the side of the the scoreboard that would like kind of flip, we would make sure that like our video team would like time how long. You know, a Barry's tickets, for example, would actually be shown on the TV <laughs> to make sure that we, at the end of the year, we we actually gave them enough TV time and it was shown during that game. So that's what I did for them. Uh, upon graduating from college, I took another internship, very similar. I took it with the St. Louis Rams. I was a big sort of LA Rams fan. My family's a LA Rams fan. Okay. So when they moved to St. Louis, naturally, you know, I kind of <laughs> followed the team there. And... um you know, when, when, when I like started interviewing, going through that process, I was like, okay, well, if they offer it to me, like, I'll, I don't have much, like, I don't have much here. So I'll just pack my car and go. So that's kind of what I did for that year that I graduated, you know, after. Got it. And then after that, like, so how did you end up in, in marketing operations? Like what was, what was that leap for you? So the internships were great until you start like meeting that full-time job and you realize, (laughs) Hey, there's only there's only 30 of these jobs, right? Like if you think of like the NFL, there's 32. If you think yeah. of the NBA, there's 28 jobs. Like yeah. <laughs> the number of jobs that you can actually sort of go into is like very <laughs> limited, right? So like I was I was just back looking for a job. Uh, I came back to California. I was looking for a job and I found a, like a, it was a marketing coordinator job. I feel like that was a hot word back in the day when I was kind of looking for a job, like 20 uh, 14 or so. Uh, yeah. It was a marketing coordinator job on Craigslist, and it was like it was like real estate focused. And I was like, okay, well, I, I think real estate's really interesting. Like, uh, I went. You know, it turned out to be a very huge company, Collier's International, which is like oh, one yeah. of the biggest, one of the biggest sort of uh, firms yeah. out there. But you use uh, commercial commercial real estate that they're right. Yeah, so I, I came in, joined. You know, they I, I was supposed to be doing like brochures and like making sure property photos were looking good. But I kind of joined a team that was like focused on like very technology focused. Yeah. They ended up br- branching out and being their own their own firm uh, a little while after. But they had just bought Marketo. They didn't know how to do it. So the first week that they had it, <laughs> I heard a story when I joined. It's like, hey, the, the first week we had this, like they had an intern setting up Marketo. And mm-hmm. they had like, 
They had alerts. So, so there's a send alert function inside of Marketo and oh, what yeah. was happening there. What was happening there is, let's say you're a lead, Don, and, and you're <laughs> clicking on a, a property flyer and you downloaded a brochure. <laughs> you were also getting the alert saying, Don, so-and-so, oh all your information. Oh, my God. Um, so yes. I guess it got back It got back to uh, the internal folks that were also clicking on the brochure because if, if your company sends you something, you're going to go ahead and click on it. So they're like, hey, this is broken. So they had just turned off Marketo, weren't using it for a while. Uh, and they're just like, hey, like, you know, we got this thing. No one knows how to use it. But, you know, we think, you know, if you're up for it, like we want to kind of just throw you in there. And, and I just kind of ran with it. So That's they awesome. put me up. They put me up through the Marketo University that was up at their headquarters. I took all the Marketo University stuff on the back end that was like virtual. And they were really open. I, I like I like really kind of give a, a lot of my career up to that organization because anything I would go out and learn, I would pitch it to them like on a, on a marketing media. And they're like, yeah, let's just go build it. Let's go yeah. build a subscription center. Let's go build a data normalization programs, like different things. They were just open to like trying out and letting me do it as long as like, you know, I kind of knew if got comfortable, like launching it live. So th- yeah, that's kind of how I got my start into sort of B2B technology. It really wasn't until I actually went to the Marketo summit where I'm like, Oh, these guys are using it like way differently. There, there's like <laughs> MQLs, there's like stages, there's like a bunch of other things. Right? It's like all of a sudden the it universe kind of, opened up, right? <laughs> ex- exactly. Cause in commercial real estate, like the brokers, they're just dialing for dollars. Like they're call anybody. Like it doesn't matter if like, they clicked it on accident. They're going to call you. But it wasn't until I went to the summit and like I really kind of immersed myself into like what was going on there. It's like, oh man, they're using it like way differently than I am. And through there, through LinkedIn, I actually found a, a consulting gig, a company called Go Nimbly. Yep. Uh, so they're actually a lean data partner as well. Yep. And yeah, uh, Jen Rockwell. I also like tip my hat off to her. She kind of brought me in. I was super raw, but I was really open to just kind of coming in and learning like as much as I could. So she kind of brought me in. She's like, hey, you know, you don't need to do a ton of things. Like, I just want you to be on the calls, understand, you know, what's going on and like take notes and like understand, like, if there's anything you don't understand, just take a note, write it down and like, we'll go over it after. And really just kind of, really kind of groomed me until I was actually ready to kind of be that sort of client facing person and like talking through different designs and, and like, you know, product, like sort of your product design and actual execution inside of Marketo. That's that's awesome. That that's a great that is a great uh, journey. That's a great story. I, I I just love hearing those stories of how people how people get their start and how how a lot of times it's like you get presented with with an opportunity and you jump in. You're like, I'll do it, right? Like you just bought Marketo, I'll fix it. You took all the classes, you jumped in, and then you had you earned that trust. And then everyone everything you wanted to do, everyone trusted you to do, and you did it, and you had success, and it just kind of grew from there. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So uh, just to wrap it up, what would you give as advice to anyone uh, that is just getting their start in, in RevOps? Yeah, I think it's really just kind of coming in there with like a growth mindset and really be open-minded. I think, you know, having worked at GoNimbly, we've worked into so many different sort of companies, instances, and everyone goes to market a little bit different. Status has changed and, you know, the way that people score, the way that people pass leads over to different parts of the organization is all different. But I think for anyone that's coming into RevOps is just coming in with an open mind and, and sort of a growth mindset that like, you know, being just curious to know how things work is going to be a big sort of accelerator for you. Understanding like the why behind, you know, 
things work a certain way or why status changes to one from one thing to another, it's going to help sort of anyone that's really starting off you know, excel their career. Great. And that's, that's awesome advice. Well, Anthony, I, I appreciate you joining us today. It was a great conversation. I'm looking forward to meeting you at OpStars come September. But in the meantime, you know, we'll stay in touch uh, on LinkedIn. And thank you for joining us. Awesome. Thanks, Don. The OpStars podcast is brought to you by Lean Data. To find out more about us and our suite of Salesforce native products for marketing, sales, and revenue operations, head to leandata.com and then make sure to search for OpStars in Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Google Podcasts, or anywhere else that podcasts are found. Make sure to click subscribe so you don't miss on any future episodes. On behalf of the team here at OpStars and Lean Data, thanks for listening.